Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema, the Twilight Zone series. This is episode 12, What You Need. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, I'm joined by Eric Cummings, ADZ, as he's often referred to here on the podcast. Eric, how's it going? Thanks, guys, for having me back in. It's uh, always a pleasure. Yep, so um, we just recorded the last episode, episode 11, so if you want to check that out, we're here. Uh, we told a little bit about how these stories go or how this episodes go, so if you want to go back and listen to that one before this one, it'll give you more a heads up of what we do in this. So, Eric, go ahead and take it away with this episode. All right, this is the episode number 12 of The Twilight Zone, entitled What You Need, and this episode aired on December the 25th, 1959. And the Christmas Christmas Day, that's right. Um, this was directed by Alvin Ganser and the writers, uh, two writers on this one, as always, uh, Rod Serling. Um, and it says teleplay by Henry Cutter. And this was all this uh, particular episode was also based on the short story uh, as well. Um, so Jimbo, if you want to go ahead and take away the cast. Right, but the short story was written by Henry Kuttner and also C.L. Moore. So the, the, those two both had a play in the short story. Oh, okay. So the cast, we have Steve Cochran plays Fred Renard, or Renard, Renard, whatever. Uh, Ernest Truex, uh, Aspidope. Uh, he also played in His Girl Friday as Bessinger, which is a movie, if you haven't seen that, it's a pretty good movie. Um Arlene Sachs or Arlene uh, Martell, she plays the girl in the bar, but she was actually known for uh, playing Spock's Vulcan Bride in the original Star Trek series. Uh, T. Pring was her name. And Reed Morgan played Lefty. She, uh, they were the cop in Back to the Future. Also, 
he uh, played a dealer in the movie Maverick. So the synopsis of this episode is a crook tries to expose a street peddler with a knack for selling people something that they will shortly need in their lives. So, Eric, let's go ahead and start talking about this episode. All right, so we start out the episode and the, the camera pans. It looks like a, on a busy street. Uh, I don't know, it kind of looks like Bourbon Street or whatever. It's like lined with bars and stuff. And then we come inside the bar and um, we sort of zero in on this guy, Fred Renard. And he's just a, a stressed out 30-year-old guy that, well, I think he's like in his mid-30s. And uh, he's exchanging a conversation with the bartender. By the way, the bartender has some great lines in this episode. Like, he's got some really uh, quipped, quippy type lines and uh, some good stuff uh, in their uh, conversation. But actually, actually, isn't the first guy they're talking to, isn't that lefty? Isn't that the ball player? Uh, well, I the, think the guy that's sitting at the, the end of the bar uh, not doing anything, right? I thought the narrator talks, he sort of sets up the Renard character a little bit. Lefty is at the bar with them. Oh, okay. Um, I think both guys are actually at the bar, but the, the, the episode obviously it centers around this guy Fred Renard. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's um, he's sort of giving a description about uh, Renard and uh, talks about his life and how he's in a rut and he's just a disgruntled guy and sort of sort of gives descriptions about his character and makeup and then in walks up this uh, little old man carrying a briefcase <laughs> or a suitcase and uh after he comes in we sort of go to commercial as as we always do and during this time uh, frame in tv and then as we come back jimbo you want to take it away after we come back from commercial yeah so this little peddler goes up to this lady sitting at the uh, bo- uh the booth in the in the restaurant slash bar or whatever and he's like hey He's like, uh, can I interest you in anything? And she's like, well, she's like, I might be able to use some matches, perhaps. He's like, matches? He's like, mm, no, I don't think you need matches. He says, I think you need this instead. And he hands her this bottle. <laughs> and she's like, uh, okay, I guess it's some sort of cleaning solution. Uh, it removes all kinds of spots of any kind, whatever. Uh, so she's like, uh, he's like, it is, it's what you need. And she's like, well, I guess, you know, so, so. He takes it. She takes it from him, and uh, so I guess this guy's famous around there. You know, he always comes in. Uh, a lot of people know him. So then the old man, you know, he's walking around, and he goes over to um, the bar, and he's looking at the one guy at the end of the table, which we know is Fred Renard, and he just gives him this look, like you know, what, what are you looking at me for? And um, Lefty's like, hey, uh, what you got there? So he starts. I got all kinds of odds and ends and everything. He's like, uh, things that you need. He's like, things I need. He's like, what do you think I need? You know, shoelaces, uh, matches, you know. Um, no, you know, there's there's other things you need. Um, he's like, I don't think so, Pop. He's like, uh, basically, uh, nothing that he has is going to help him because he was a baseball player and he got injured and he won't be able to play. He got the news that he won't be able to play baseball right. anymore. Um so is his whole world is crushed. But he's like, um, so the bartender, he's a famous uh, actor too. He's been in a lot of stuff. But he's like, you know, he's like, unless you got a new left arm in there, he's like, that's what I really need. He's like, yeah, he was one of the greatest pitchers of his time. You know, uh, he pitched a couple years for the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and the bartender has, again, one of his many great lines. He says, yeah, he, he was uh, once a good pitcher because he's like, he doesn't have it anymore because I lost a whole bunch of money betting on you. And I guess, uh, you know, Lefty lost a big game and the bartender right. lost a lot of money. 
Um, but yeah, he uh, the bartender's got like I said, he's got some great one liners. Uh, one of which is yeah, like, and he tells him he t- he says uh, we don't we don't just rent space here, and he's just you know they're bantering back and forth together. But yeah, the uh, so Lefty's speaking with the uh, this little old man. And he's and the little old man. If eventually uh, we're about to get to this point, he hands him a bus ticket, a bus ticket to Scranton, Pennsylvania. So go ahead, take it away, Jimbo. <laughs> and all I can think of is uh, the office, oh, yeah. the Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, Dwight, Michael, you know, Jim, right. Pam. Um, so, um, but the bartender's like, look, this guy's been in here. He's in here seven nights a week. He's looking for his career in baseball at the bottom of, a, of the bottle. Uh, so you can tell that he's like the town drunk, basically. And he's like, but it's a bus ticket to Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, he's like, Scranton, Pennsylvania? He's like, you know, the guy's laughing like, you know, uh, what's in Scranton? He's like, I don't know anything <laughs> yeah. that's in Scranton. Yeah, and the, and the, and and, the bar. Uh, the old guy's like, hey, you never know. <laughs> yeah, and the bartender again. He said coal mines. Uh, the bartender again has that funny line. He says, well, what's in Scranton, Pennsylvania? He says, oh, coal mines. Again, like just uh, just got some really good funny lines. It's worth just watching. He's like, maybe you could, maybe you could, maybe maybe you could dig with it, Lefty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so he's just yeah. cracking up. So the phone rings, uh, the phone booth. You know what's kind of weird is this kind of looks like almost the same bar that we just seen in the previous episode, right. uh, a little bit, just different actors. Uh, what I think, um, but uh, yeah. so Lefty's in the the thing and he's talking and and the old man's, you know, he's just smiling because he knows something's about to happen. Right. Uh, so he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. You know, you see Lefty just in there smiling. He looks happy, uh, like he's finally found his calling in life. And he hangs up the phone and he comes out and uh, he's like, hey, he's like, uh, I, I have a, a, a job offer. Right. And uh, he said, an old manager, he said, he's been looking for me for three whole weeks. He's like, he got me a coach, a coaching job in a minor league club in Scranton. And so now he's like, Scranton, Pennsylvania. So he looks at the bus ticket. And so how did this little guy know that this guy needed to be going to Scranton, Pennsylvania and already have the bus ticket planned? And, you know, this came out on Christmas Day. So this guy kind of, this old man kind of reminds me of Santa Claus. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? Um, I I was going to say. Is it it a coincidence or is it just good fortune? Right. Uh, I was going to say that uh, as well. Or uh, uh, it's a wonderful life kind of theme. Kind of like how uh, Clarence Clarence the Angel, he kind of knows what's going to happen and stuff. And then you, you go on a little bit further, and then uh, after he, he gets the bus ticket and explains how the, the coach was calling him, uh, one of his former coaches was calling him to take the job, uh, he says, man, I'd really like to look nice uh, when I go to this job interview, and he's got his uh, suit jacket on, and it's got this big stain on the lapel, and, and uh, the young lady walks over, and of course she has the cleaning fluid, and you know... Uh, wipes the stain on his lapel, and she says, "Once this dries, you won't even know the stain's there." And then they have sort of a love connection, and then you know, a, a happily ever after moment there, uh, briefly. Right, you kind of get the, the guy, you kind of get the feeling that them two are going to be happy yeah. together later on. Right, they're going to go together to together. So, yeah, they're going to go together to Scranton, Scranton. Or something. Yeah. Right. So you see this guy, man. He just he's just dead looking at the old man, like you know. I'm on to you, old man. I don't know what you're doing, but something's not right with what you, how you can do these things. Um, she's like, look, you had a spot there, now it's gone. And he's like, well, thank you, miss. Uh, so um, she's like, I was lucky you were around. And he's like, not really lucky, you know, just the gentleman over there, you know. And now he's gone. The old man has disappeared from the uh, bar. And you see the door swinging, so we know that he had just left. And so 
so he's outside, you know, he's he's got his little suitcase or whatever, and he's going through all this stuff, and up walks Mr. Fred Denar, or Renard, and he's not, like, very happy. He's like, well, you got anything in there for me, basically. Yeah. Um, and he's like, well, he's like, I don't know what to tell you. He's like, you want some shoelaces? <laughs> and he's like, is that what I need? He's like, that's for you to say, sir. And so... Um, it's not new shoelaces, maybe some matches. And have you ever noticed that everybody he goes up to, he always offers them shoelaces and matches. They always seem to like the first two things that come out. Right. Um, which I thought was a pretty thing. And so now he's asking, hey, old man, what do I need? You tell me what I need, old man. And the old man, you know, he, you can tell the old man's kind of scared. Yeah. He's kind of frightened. But he's like, well, but what you tell me what I need right now. He's like, I seen what you did in there. And he's like, what do I need tonight? Um, so he's like, it's, it's late. He's like, I, I need to go. And so now he's getting rough with him. You know, he grabs him by the lapel, uh, pulls him closer. And so he looks in there and he gives him some scissors. <laughs> Which, of all things, he's like, you're telling me I need some scissors. And uh, he's like, this is what I need. So uh, take it away from here, Eric. So uh, after he gives him the uh, scissors that he needs, he goes back to his uh, apartment or hotel where he's staying. And he, he's really rough with the desk clerk. He's like, hey, wake up. Give me my uh, room key or whatever. And, uh, you know, Renard's just a jerk. I mean, this guy's just a real piece of work all the way around. And, and he plays the part uh, perfectly. So he, uh, after uh, Renard uh, gets his key, room key or whatever, he goes into the elevator. And he's wearing the scarf. And it's kind of hanging down uh, his back quite a long ways. And it's like an old-style elevator. He gets in and he closes like a metal gate. And as the elevator's going up, his the back of his scarf gets hung up, and this is kind of funny how they how they play this out. And he can't, uh, Renard can't reach the the stop button on the elevator, and he's reaching and he's choking to death because his scarf is caught and the elevator's going up. So, well, lo and behold, he reaches into his pocket, he pulls out the scissors, and reaches behind him, and he cuts the scarf loose. And you know the uh, the scissors were exactly what he needed. And they ended up saving his life, and he he chuckles to himself, ha ha, yeah, that's exactly what I need. So then the the next scene we come to, uh, I would guess the old man's apartment, and Renard again, just slimy jerk of a guy, has broken in apparently into the old man's um, apartment, and he's sitting in the dark smoking a cigarette. Jimbo, you want to take it from there? Yeah. So the old man, you know, he's like. He walks in. He doesn't know anything's going on. You know, he takes off his hat and he goes in there. And then all of a sudden, you know, he sees, turns on the light and he sees he drops the suitcase. Everything falls out. Um, and the guy's just, you know, he's just nonchalantly just standing there, you know, sitting there. And he reaches down, you know, he's like looking for stuff. And he's like, what else is it? What, what is something else I need? Um, so he's like, look, he's like, I've already given you what you need. He's like, everything that you needed. He's like, well, that was a nice pair of scissors I got. Uh, Help me tonight. And so he's like, well, what have you got here? Uh, crystal ball, you know, machine, whatever. He's like, look, he's like, I just have a knack for uh, things. He's like, you can see ahead. You can see the future, can't you? He's like, um, you know, and he, he's just belittling him. You really don't like this Fred uh, Renard guy. Not he's at like, all. you got a million dollar talent and you're, you're dribbling away on nickel and dime stuff. He's like, we need to think bigger. I want to think bigger. He's like, um, you know, you want to know something? He's like, uh, let's see, uh, Basically, he wants to be his partner. He's forced himself to be a partner. And the old guy's like, I don't want a partner. I don't need anything. 
Uh, and uh, he's like, well, basically, you like it or not. He's like, I'm content. You know, I'm content that I have this talent. You know, I help people out that need it. He's like, but I don't want a partner. And he says, I use it sparingly. He's like, I don't, I don't, I must use it sparingly. He's like, because basically if he uses the way I'm reading it from the way he's doing it, you know, is he's doing it to help people out, not to get rich. Exactly. Um, so, um, but this guy is not going to let him go. He's not going to let him go without being a partner. Cause this guy wants to get rich. And <laughs> so go ahead, Eric, take it away. So, cause he's like, you know, he's like, he's like, what satisfies a man, you know, four wheeler, you know, nice cars, nice uh, clothes. Go ahead. <laughs> so, uh, Sorry, I said twice. No, that's, that's all right. Uh, so he, again, he, uh, Renard is bullying the old man Pinot or Pinot, uh, Pidot, I think is uh, his name. They don't really mention his name till the end of the episode. But um, so he pulls out a fountain pen uh, out of his jacket pocket because this is the next thing, and you know Renard has bullied this man into giving him something else because he wants to get rich, and so he pulls out the fountain pen and the. And he's really disgusted because the fountain pen leaks and the, some of the ink leaks onto uh, a newspaper, which, uh, what was it, Jimbo? It was a horse uh, horse track uh, yeah, betting it's, page. Yeah, it's a horse it? track thing. and and Right, it's a betting page. And he's like, this is the first race tomorrow. And this, this ink dropped on one single horse. Right. So uh, when it drips on the newspaper indicating which horse Renard should bet on, if you look closely... You will see among the names of the jockeys, Clemens, Houghton, Denault, and Serling. George C. Clemens was the director of photography in this episode. Buck Houghton was producer. Edward O. Denault was assistant director, and Rod Serling created it. Um, which you also came across. What do you want to say about the newspaper that you found? Oh, uh, that, that's actually in the next scene. We, we see that uh, Renard, oh, okay. Fred Renard, is, he's won at the horse track. Uh, he's won a bunch of money, and there's a bunch of money, cash on his bed, and he's... You know, he's uh, really ecstatic about it. And then, like, the bellhop or the front desk clerk comes to his door again and is knocking on the door, and he hands him, I guess, what would be the next day's paper because, you know, this isn't enough for Renard. He wants to go and make more money. He's going to make a, a racket out of this. So he pulls out the pen, the fountain pen, that Padat gave him, and it doesn't work this time. It does, but uh, it was, in, uh, was it in, so, what was it about the newspaper? It was the same newspaper that was... Uh, the headline of another episode. I think that was your favorite episode. It was the, yeah, it's the one with Burgess Meredith with Time Enough at Last. Right, right. Um, about the H-bomb or whatever that blew up in the library. So I thought that was really cool. Well, now, you know, he's got a bunch of money on the bed. You know, he's got this newspaper. The guy is asking for a tip. He just basically kicks the door. You know, don't play with matches or whatever. Kicks the door in the guy's right. face or whatever. So now he's mad because now this pin, he, he opens it up. He's like, he doesn't just have to stop at horse racing. We can do basketball, baseball, all these games. And so he goes and he tries to shake the pen. And now the pen doesn't work again. And he's like, "Well, that guy, he just he just conned the con man, basically." Yeah. So there you come back. You see the old little old man standing on the street corner, and all of a sudden behind him, you got the partner, everybody's favorite, Fred Renard. He's like, "Look, he's like partner." He's like, "Padot, that's my name." <laughs> <laughs> so you can tell, you know, the 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 old man still looks like he has fear in his eyes. Um, and, and he's like, you know, you want a great deal, Mr. Renard, just let it go. You're, you're good. He's like, the thing you need, you only needed it once. He's like, you, you, you want to take this power basically and use it over and over to get rich or whatever. He's like, but once is all you need. He's like, then what's next after that, after that, after that. So, um, he's like, I'd rather just not sell anything to you. 
He's like, because basically he can't handle it, is what I'm getting at. So go ahead, Eric, take it away. Um, so yeah, they had this confrontation on the on the street corner, and uh, Padat explains to him that he only needs uh, only needs something once, and basically. Renard, who it's mentioned early in the episode that he carries a large chip on his shoulders the size of the national debt that sort of en- encapsulates <laughs> who Fred Renard is. Uh, he explains to Padat that he's had the short end of the stick ever since he was four years old and he never can get ahead in life. And this was uh, interesting, especially noting the, the timing of when the episode uh, came out, Padat tells him, what you need is serenity in your life. What you need is peace of mind. You don't need all of these other things that he's, you know, Renard is struggling uh, to attain. And so that's sort of the, uh, you know, the uh, the climax of the episode or the, the, the real reason why we're tuning in is to, to get at this Renard, uh, Renard's character. Uh, but that just infuriates him. He tells him, he gets mad. He tells Vidat, I, I want more. I want you to look into my future. I want you to tell me again what I need so that I can get successful off of it again. So they have this exchange on the street corner. And then go ahead, go ahead, Jimbo. You're raising your hand. You want to? Right, right. And I really think that the, the, the point that is made here is the old man says, look, the things that you really need. He's like, I can't supply you. You know, serenity, one, the ability to laugh at oneself, peace of mind, all this stuff. And he's like, no, he grabs him by the thing. He says, look, he's like, look into my eyes. He's like, you tell me what I really, really need. And so the old man, you know, he's kind of scared. And he, so he reaches down and uh, what was it? He grabs a, a thing of shoes. Right, a box of uh, like uh, shoes. Right. So this guy is not only, he's actually going inside. Of, so he's not, this is something that. Uh, per, per, uh, what's his name? Uh, Padat didn't give him. He took it. That's something else I noticed. Uh, okay. He actually took this from the thing. He didn't. He wasn't given to him by Padat, but th- he actually took it from Padat's thing himself. So that was something that I caught that I thought was very interesting here too. So you see him putting these shoes on, and uh, he's like, you know, he's like, they're too tight. <laughs> you know, he's like, they, they don't really fit. Right. And so you see Padat starting to walk away, you know, and, and he's like, hey, hey, these shoes are. They got leather soles. Mm-hmm. He says, I hate leather soles. You know, they're slippery. He's like, but they're what I need, aren't they? And Padat doesn't say anything. He's like, I just put them on and then I walk someplace. You know, he thinks it's a quick rich or something. I'll go meet somebody or whatever I got to do. Um, he's like, because it's what I need. And so you see him and he just, even though they're too tight and they don't really fit, you know, and he's like, what's happening? He's like, I'm like, nothing's happening to me. Um, he's like patience. He's like that's another thing you need is patience. Go ahead. Eric. Was this? I have just have a question. Was this the the scene where he where Padat tells him at some point he says he at the bar in the original opening scene Padat tells Renard when I looked into your eyes when I first saw you I saw my own death that I think that exchange happened somewhere in here and uh, yeah I think it before happens here. or after he puts on the leather shoes I'm not sure which but that was a good pickup that uh, it was actually Renard that picked up the shoes well, that's right right well so right here he's like look he's like it's not something you needed he tells him he's like but it's something I needed yeah you know what I mean yeah. so he I needed you to take these shoes and then you see him slipping on the ground on the oil and everything here comes this car flying around the corner and wham just just runs right over Fred. Um, so, uh, everybody's, you know, screaming, the little guy standing there in the corner and, uh, he kind of, you know, 
I saw what was in your eyes. Basically, he says, you know, and then he said, what I saw in your eyes, he said, it was death. He said, it was going to be my death. Um, because he says, at that bar was death. It was my death. So that's what he saw back at the bar. He says, you were going to kill me. Uh, he's like, so the shoes are basically what I needed for you to take. Right. So for what was needed for Mr. Renard was slippery shoes. So And basically, didn't, so I didn't die that you would die instead of me. So... Very well done. Um, as you still see Renard laying in the middle of the uh, middle of the street, and lo and behold, the little guy, man, he's back at the bar, or, or not at the bar, but uh, the people come out to the yeah, yeah he's on the street corner, and then the people come out to see the accident, and then so <laughs> yeah. this uh, man and wife come out to you know like most people do, they want to see what happens in an accident, and he's just standing there, and then Padat hands this guy. Uh, who looks like he's just woken up in the middle of the night, hands him a comb. And he's like, a comb? You know, he kind of looks at it, and what do I need this for? And shoves it in his pocket. And then, a, you know, a minute later, uh, the, the press, uh, one of the guys from the press wants to take a picture uh, of this two, uh, of this couple, you know, at the scene. And sure enough, the guy pulls out his comb and combs his hair really quick because he's all disheveled right before the uh, guy snaps the photo. So it was exactly <laughs> what he needed. At right. The- yeah, I thought that was great too because now that it's done, he's just going about his work again. Uh, I thought that was really well done. He's like, I like taking it. So he's like, pulls it out, he combs it over real quick. And doesn't he say something like when he does with the comb? Oh, uh, he says something, or he looks at it or something, I think. Yeah, because they take the picture and he gets a look on his face like, oh, the comb, you right. know? <laughs> and he's like, uh, so you see the, uh, the ambulance basically shut, it's got uh, Fred in it. Uh, driving away and that the shoes are still sitting on the ground and in like that uh, thing and so this is where ross really comes in you know the street scene night narrated victim named fred uh, renard a gentleman with a sour face to whom confident uh, came with difficulty uh, fred renard who took all that was needed in the twilight zone yeah. so that's how it ends and i thought this episode was really well done eric go ahead and take it away tell me what you thought well let me go ahead and uh, said, shed some other things i found before i get your feelings on it the original story featured a machine that could foretell an individual's probable future. Rod Serling replaced the science fiction element with a street peddler who could magically perform the same function. Uh, when the bellboy rings the newspaper, the Daily Chronicle, to Fred Renard, the headline is seen to read, H-bomb capable of total destruction. This is the same newspaper prop used in the Twilight Zone, Time Enough at Last in 1959, which we talked yep, about. that's what we talked about earlier. Um, what you... Right, what you need inspired the song of the same name by British post-punk band The Fall from their acclaimed 1985 album This Nation Saving Grace. What you need originally appeared in the October 1945 issue of Astounding Science Fiction. It was credited to Lewis Paget, a pseudonym used frequently by Henry Cutner and C. L. Moore. Uh, the $240 Fred Renard wins at the racetrack is worth approximately. $2,136 in 2020. Uh, when the girl in the bar tries to buy matches, she holds up an unfolded bill. The camera angle changes to a close-up of her, and now the bill is crumpled up in her hand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when Padat returns to his apartment, Renard is already there waiting for him. It's not explained how Renard knew his residence since they met the first time that night, and Renard never had an opportunity to watch Padat enter the building, so that's kind of a little con- continuancy error. No elevator, not even hydraulic ones, move as slow as the one that almost chokes <laughs> Renard. So, um, when Padat drops his case and the spool of thread rolls into the corner, Renard picks up a spool from where one had not rolled. 
Uh, Padat is shown in the opening scene going from person to person selling odds and ends in a bar. He approaches Lefty, who does not know him, whereupon the bartender tells Lefty that the old coot is in here every night. The bartender later says that Lefty is in the bar seven nights a week. Since both men are in the bar every night and Padat tries to sell to everyone, Lefty should have already known who this was and been familiar with Padat and his tactics. Yeah. So I never thought of that because they did say he's in here seven nights drinking. Uh, Since Renard's scarf was knotted around his neck, all he had to do was turn his body to twist it off. There was no need to use the scissors. Uh, right after the old man Padat first comes into the bar, the camera changes to a shot of Renard sitting at the bar. For several seconds, the frames are running backward. You can see smoke coming down to the cigarette instead of rising up from it. And when Renard slips in the new shoes, a slippery substance can be seen on the road, presumably to help the actor slide around. So, Eric, go ahead and tell me what you thought about this episode. Well, I, thought, I thought this was one of the better ones. Um, it, you know, uh, the point being driven home... Um, just just the anxiety and the chip that Renard had on his shoulder and, you know, um, just just the whole setup and the timing of the episode, you know, coming out on Christmas and uh, just the the undertones of serenity and being at peace and um, probably appealed to a lot uh, should have a lot of people and still should appeal. Um, that message should appeal today. Uh, a lot of people are looking for things that right. what they need and what they really need is not what they think they need. And so I thought that point was really well driven home. And I think it was very fitting that this came out on Christmas Day. Because Christmas is when a lot of time people think that they need something and that they want something. uh, But that's really not what's important. What's important is the people around you, the serenity, laughing at oneself, family. Uh, So it's not things you get or Santa Claus brings you. It's basically stuff that you have to, uh, that nobody can give you, but you have to find out and give for yourself. So I thought that was really well done that it was brought out on Christmas Day, too. Very well done. So um, this, yep. So I believe this episode's coming to a close. Uh, Be on the lookout for uh, ADZ and me uh, back next week, probably with a couple more episodes of The Twilight Zone. We might even throw in a regular episode uh, since Terrence is um, still working and everything. We'll get Terrence when we can. So, But the show must go on. So I think this episode's coming to a close. And that's a wrap. Eric, take it away. And cut. <laughs>